from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines. Good morning, Gina. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Did you have a good week? Yes, I did. Uh, how long is this nice weather going to last? I'll tell you what. Oh, I hope forever. Yeah. This is so incredible. The coolness in the morning for walks and, yeah, the, yeah. and the, the warmth in the evening for a quick dip in a pool. Um, well, I don't have a one, pool I can dip into. Well, but, do you? Uh, we have a neighbor, actually, that's ah, very generous with okay. the use of their pool. <laughs> so it's just, ju- it's just right. Not a little bit of rain in the middle of the day. It's just it's if we could just freeze frame this this climate, we we'd make millions. We'd be happy. We'd have, right, yeah. everyone would move here. <laughs> so I'm glad you had a good week. I tell you, th- these weeks are still very scrambled. I'm waiting for the routine to to, to set back in. Uh, this COVID in isolation is. I woke up Tuesday morning and I thought it was Friday. And almost I've done for that an too. hour. <laughs> I've done that too. Wake up, you're not sure which day it is That's because right. you don't have the structure of going, getting up, going someplace, all That's that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to tell our listeners there's 61 days to the election, and I'm yeah. sorry you're probably hearing that from everyone, but very important to this particular program because. You know, the, so many cases that are handled in the courts um, are because of the laws and the legislation and the rules and the regulations set in place by our leaders. And so it's important for us to make everyone aware of how important voting is and knowing about who you're voting for and what their um, philosophies and policies are. And how you're voting, because we're going to be talking to a voting <laughs> expert about right. that today. We have another. Hans von Spankowski who is from the Heritage Foundation, who wrote a report on this, and uh, and he's kind of uh, widely recognized as an expert in this area. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, you talk about, what, 61 days or whatever is left. Time to start your rosary novenas right now. Uh, we, we, need, we need some help with this thing down here, and there are should be people upstairs looking down trying to help us out. Well, if it hasn't been pointed out on Iowa Catholic Radio in the last 24 hours, I will remind our listeners that the best weapon is the rosary. It is, absolutely. And we are warriors, and as long as we hold those rosaries and we say them at least once a day, we're, we're doing our part to um, defeat evil. That's right, that's right. And, and there's certainly a lot of it out there. <laughs> or so it These seems, days, if you open yeah. up the news. Yeah, yes. yeah that's right. Uh, open up the true news anyway. All right, let's see. We, uh, we're going to talk, about, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, about uh, that mail-in voting and what's the difference between absentee ballots and mail-in ballots. And then we're going to talk again to our friend Alex Schattenberg, who is the executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. We're going to talk about what um, effect the lockdowns have on suicide rates and and how people are being pushed sometimes into suicide out of loneliness 
and out of despair. Very prevalent. Mm -hmm. People need connections to survive as much as they need food and water and air. Um, those connections are very important, and I, I'm saddened by the number of uh, statistics I've seen in the area of suicide during this COVID shutdown. Yeah, yeah, it is unfortunate. So we'll act, hopefully he'll have some hope for us. He'll show us some signs of things to do and people to see in terms of or uh, scare the heck out healing of us, us. With, yes. <laughs> with whatever statistics he has. All right, do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do. A prayer for peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Gina. And uh, this is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be right back with Hans von Spenskowski after these messages. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmentinternational.org. That's blessmentinternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at BigRedQ-DeMoines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports on Iowa Catholic Radio is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Greg Harper. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. 
Um, you've probably been hearing a lot of discussion recently on mail-in voting and absentee voting and whether or not there's fraud involved. Hans von Smankowski is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's also an author of a, uh, a recent report, Four Stolen Elections, The Vulnerabilities of Absentee and Mail-in Balloting. Hans, nice of you to join us this morning. Welcome to our program. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, Hans uh, is an expert in uh, in this area, so let's start off with a very simple question uh, for a lot of non-experts out there. And uh, what is the difference between absentee bo- voting and mail-in voting? Because there seems to be a lot of confusion out there, which is which, and what is wrong with one and not with the other, etc. Uh, five states in the U.S. have, I think, unwisely switched to all mail elections. They don't have any opening polling places. What they simply do is they mail a ballot. Uh, you can call it an absentee or mail-in ballot, but they mail a ballot to every registered voter in the state, which brings up all kinds of problems because state voter registration lists are in such bad shape. Uh, states don't do a good job of cleaning it up that they are in many places sending out ballots to people who no longer live at those addresses because they've moved or died. In the rest of the country, 45 states, the District of Columbia, uh, we vote in person, but um, we are we do have the ability to vote by absentee ballot. In many of the states, you don't need an excuse. Some states, you need an excuse like you're sick or physically disabled, won't be able to make it to the polling place. And in those states, you fill out a one-page form, you sign it, you send it to election officials saying, uh, I would like to vote by absentee ballot, and they mail it to you uh, for you to complete and send back. And that's the difference between absentee balloting and the kind of universal all-mail elections that some places have. Okay. Now, recently we had a case here in Iowa, uh, in uh, Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa, where the county election commissioner sent out absentee ballot requests to everybody who was on the voter rolls, and he included in that absentee ballot request uh, pre-printed all the voter information that was needed. Including the unique identifier for that voter, either their driver's license number or their uh, assigned number by the election office. Right. And uh, the district court, the local district court, just threw all of that out. Um, Good decision? Bad decision? Uh, Good decision by the court and a stupid decision by the election official. Because the whole point of uh, having to fill out an absentee ballot is it gives gives the election officials some uh, ability to authenticate the, the request because the voter has to provide the same registration information that they provided when they first got registered to vote. And if you pre-fill in all that information, uh, I'd be willing to bet you a dinner in the nicest restaurant in town that if I received an uh, absentee ballot request form like that at my house for someone who no longer lived here, like my the owners of this house who moved away a long time ago, I'm willing to bet you that I could sign that form, mail it in, and election officials wouldn't realize that I wasn't the voter, and they would promptly send me an absentee ballot. Now, in your uh, report that you did on uh, the fraudulent elections, you found a lot of that going on, didn't you? I sure did, and the point of that paper that I published for Heritage was to show folks that, no, there is proven absentee ballot fraud, and in fact, 
it has changed the outcomes of uh, different elections. And the easy look, unfortunately, we have fraud that occurs in many different ways in elections, even with sure. in person voting. Exactly. Absentee ballots are the easiest ballots to steal, to forge, to alter, or to put pressure on voters in their homes to a particular way. And that's why um, it's unfortunately the most common form of election fraud when, when people want to cheat. Well, and it's the most difficult to, um, to, to prosecute. The, there's very yeah. little proof that I signed somebody else's ballot request. No, in fact, it takes a huge amount of resources because what you have to do uh, is you have to hire, you not only have to go interview voters, uh, which is a very long process, but then you have to hire handwriting experts. It, it's really um, it's really a big problem. But look, aside from all of that is this problem, and that is um, if you Google it uh, today, there's a report about the fact that 3,000 voters in Georgia have just filed complaints over their August 11th primary runoff saying, hey, we never got the absentee ballots we had requested. You have the problem of the U.S. Postal Service not delivering mail either at all or in time. And plus, you have a second problem, which is when you, when you send back the absentee ballot, you, the voter, again, you have to complete certain information on the form. And if you don't do that completely, your ballot is going to get rejected. That's why the rejection rate for absentee ballots is much higher than the rejection rate of ballots cast in person. So you're, you're, it's highly more likely that your ballot isn't going to count if you vote by mail instead of doing it in person. Uh, and, you know, nice Iowa. It, uh, it, recently there was a story about how the county auditors were, if someone sent in an absentee ballot request and was missing some kind of information, they were kindly filling it in for them, which was found to be <laughs> a, not, not legal. Very helpful, very nice, but not legal. It destroys and, the system of accountability. Exactly. There, yeah. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right about that. Um, it, it destroys the accountability and the ability to authenticate the request. So, so the other, the, the other, um, I, I, I've been involved in campaigns and elections for for over thirty years here in Iowa, and one, and we take our voting very seriously. And one of the things that has evolved is our absentee ballot system. Originally, we were one of those states. Uh, back in the 80s that you had to have some excuse. You know, you were on military service, you were traveling, you were ill, you were in a nursing home. And the legislation has changed over the years to allow anyone to request an absentee ballot for not requiring a reason. And then we started with the um, mobile voting sites throughout the state, you know, moving around so people can vote early in their library or the mall or whatever. Um, I worry about these states that have never had a mail-in voting program, whether it be absentee or simply mailing out ballots, to be able to process that in all of their counties and and have it be accurate. Oh, no, you're absolutely right about that. Um, Look, Washington State is one of the states that has all-mail elections. Their Secretary of State not too long ago admitted it took them five years, five years to gear up and put the kind of structures in place to handle a gigantic increase in um, mail-in ballots because it takes longer to process uh, them than it does a, a regular ballot. Um, and 
anybody who doubts that's a problem, again, uh, just to look at what happened in New York. Remember, New York had its primary on June 23rd. Election officials there, again, unwisely encouraged as many people to vote by mail as possible. They had uh, an almost exponential increase in mail-in ballots, and it turned into chaos. It took them six weeks, six weeks, to count the ballots for a primary election and those results now, by the way, are still being contested in court. Why? The rejection rate for the mail-in or absentee ballots was one in five. Twenty-one, twenty percent of the ballots were thrown out by election officials for everything from not arriving in time to missing information to voters for forgetting to sign uh, the ballot. That's a twenty percent disenfranchisement rate. You know, that not getting the ballots in in time is something that really scares me. I have this uh, yeah. nightmare that we're going to go to bed uh, one election night uh, knowing or believing that, say, Mr. Trump has won re-election narrowly, only to find out the next day uh, there's going to be um, uh, hundreds of thousands of new ballots that show up in key precincts and in key states that uh, are going to alter the election, and then we're going to be into uh, a legal fight for the next three months on how to count those votes. Oh, no, I think that is a very real possibility, or actually I should say a real uh, possible nightmare that could occur. And the results so far in places like New York, again, um, show that that is a real possibility. Now, with the mail-in votes, you were talking about uh, the state of Washington. I think you mentioned in your uh, report about a colleague of yours who had moved out of Washington uh, 15 years ago or so, and she's even though she's not eligible to vote there anymore, she still gets a ballot every year in the mail. No, that's exactly right. She grew up in Washington. Uh, she moved out of the state eight years ago. Her sister moved away ten years ago. Uh, but her parents inform the two of them that both of them still get ballots mailed to them by the state of Washington every election because Washington still thinks they're residents. They could easily vote those ballots um, and send them in. The state would never realize that non-residents have voted in the election because they, they think they're valid residents. And that points out back to the original problem we were talking about, which is statewide voter registration rolls are not in good shape. Now, it seems to me that the people that are pushing for the mail-ins are the same people that don't want to clean up the voter rolls and are opposing voter ID laws. That's exactly right. No, no, you're exactly right. But let me tell you the weird thing about them, and it shows that they have basically ulterior motives. Uh, One, at the same time they're pushing for uh, these all-mail elections, you know, they have filed lawsuits saying that states should not do signature comparisons and they should not uh, require witness signatures, which is often a requirement in states. And at the same time, they're trying to force states to allow vote harvesting. Vote harvesting is when you allow anyone um, to show up at someone's front door to pick up your ballot and deliver it. Now, that doesn't make any sense in the face of COVID-19, right? All right. Uh, why would you want to allow strangers to come to people's front doors and pick up uh, ballots? Well, we have, 
in the past, before COVID, we had uh, staffers or volunteers who would literally um, take absentee ballot requests to the nursing homes and help the patient or the um, clients fill out the forms and send them in for their ballots, and then later go back and help them vote. Um, that's Probably a little more than helping in well, some instances. Here, sign here. <laughs> I suppose. Um, and that's probably both sides guilty of that sort of behavior. But nonetheless, there, that that kind of harvesting isn't going to, if we can call it harvesting, isn't going to be able to happen this time unless those ballots aren't actually getting to the patients in the nursing homes. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a real problem, too. So uh, that people being taken advantage of the elderly, particularly that happens with absentee ballots. Yeah, the one guy in your report said, I thought I was signing up for food stamps. Yeah. 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 Uh, there was a report out in the last couple of days uh, by a, uh, uh, I, I guess he's a, um, a whistleblower now, uh, somebody who claims to have been harvesting votes and, and, and changing elections for decades, and he's talking about photocopying uh, ballots. And he mentioned, and this is I thought was kind of interesting, he mentioned that photocopying a ballot uh, isn't hard to do. The real security is with the envelope. If you can get the envelope, uh, you can get your fake ballot in and count it. Right, and that's why vote harvesting is a bad idea. You're, you're putting a very valuable commodity ballot into the hands of people who have a stake in the outcome, and you're giving them the opportunity, as this guy said they do, of steaming open the envelopes and changing the vote inside right that seems like an awful lot and, of work yeah and then there are just a couple of minutes each is, is what the report said just a couple of seconds to steam that open and change the ballot inside yeah it's a, it's right. a mess now one of the things that uh we keep hearing in reports and i uh was listening to our one of our local tv channels the other day and they were talking about something and then at the end of the at the end of the uh, piece uh the anchor came on and said well of course uh uh, there's never been any any real evidence of any fraudulent elections or elections that have been overturned by fraud. Um, how say you to that? <laughs> there are look the whole the whole point of the, of fraud is that we have enough of it in this country that we need to be concerned about it. And I just recently wrote about four. Uh, cases in which uh, absentee ballot fraud caused the elections to be overturned. And we have that that just happened within the last couple of weeks. Patterson, New Jersey, decided to have an all-male municipal election because of supposed fears over COVID-19. And not only have four locals there already been criminally charged with absentee ballot fraud, a judge has now ordered a new election because the fraud so poisoned the election outcome that they said they didn't know who won. So the idea that this just doesn't happen is, is just not true. So what should we do in the run-up to this election? Is there anything we can do sitting out here? And uh, for Gina and I, it's in the flyover zone. <laughs> you know, I don't know what we can. But uh, besides praying for a clean election, are there any steps that we can take or our representatives can take? What people need to be doing right now is telling election officials and others they want as normal an election as possible. What that means is they should be demanding that they have the ability to vote in person in their regular neighborhood polling places, and uh, all the polling places should be open. They should not be forced to vote by mail. We know it can be done safely. It's been done safely in uh, Wisconsin and other states. As long as the 
polling places simply implement the health safety protocols we're all seeing when we go to the grocery store or the pharmacy, you know, wear a mask, line spacing, et cetera, and you'll be able to vote safely in person. Now, let me ask you, um, uh, where can we find a copy of your report? I know it's online. Do you have the... Uh, uh, yeah, go, go to heritage.org, heritage.org, and it's on our page uh, about election integrity. Very good. Hans, thank you for joining us today. We certainly appreciate you. Did you have another question, no, Gina? Oh, okay. Uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the... <laughs> we, could, we could go on a couple hours with exactly. this, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, hopefully we could have uh, wakened a couple people up to this and uh, uh, sent them on to your page, Hans, so that uh, people can read that report themselves. And uh, there's uh, probably places there where they can get further information on this. They but sure can. We want to thank you very much for joining us. We certainly yes, appreciate you. it. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Certainly. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Radio, and we will be back right after these messages. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports on Iowa Catholic Radio is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Greg Harper. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. No rain coming up for a while. It will be gusty through the afternoon hours, though, following a dry cold front. Wind up to 30 miles an hour, our high around 80 and sunny. Still breezy overnight, mid-50s and clear, and then a little bit warmer tomorrow. We'll hit 85 with sunshine. 
The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we have with us our old friend Alex Schottenberg from the uh, uh, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition up in Canada. Alex, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. It's great being with you again. Thank you. I want to talk uh, about uh, what's going on in the uh, uh, area of suicides with the, in conjunction with the lockdowns that we see. Uh, there's a lot of uh, loneliness and depression and feelings of abandonment and isolation out there, especially among the elderly who are confined maybe to nursing homes or something. What is that doing to the suicide uh, rate these days? Well, I wrote an article uh, called Deaths of Despair Are Increasing, and it was looking at uh, recent data, and it was showing that in several uh, areas, especially in the U.S., there had been an increase in suicide deaths, and specifically related to what we would call, again, deaths of despair, people who, who uh, the COVID um, you know, regulations, uh, people being isolated, it's affected them. There's also been, uh, you've probably noticed in quite a few uh, media articles that there's been an increase in the number of overdose deaths, and that's very sad. Once again, it seems to be uh, exasperated by the fact that uh, people are isolated through COVID-19, and what's causing this problem even worse is that uh, they're feeling so lonely that uh, they're losing sight of uh, the purpose of life. Yeah, and they're losing connections with their loved ones. That's right. We had a case also that I reported in British Columbia. There was a woman, her name was Shirley, well, she's still alive, her name is Shirley Turton, and she asked her family to arrange for her euthanasia death. And the reason was that she, she, was, uh, she called her nursing home a long-term care prison. That's how she referred to it. And the COVID-19 regulations had so upset her and made her feel so depressed and lonely that she said she wanted to die. And this was a situation where the family had, previous to COVID, regularly taken her out. She was regularly going home to her family farm for dinner and uh, being with her family. And then with the regulations, she wasn't allowed to go anywhere. She was so isolated and depressed that she was asking for euthanasia. Now, is this common? I don't know how common it is, but we do know that if there's one story, there must be many. And to even make it more uh, clear of what's going on, uh, I just published an article about a seniors advocate in British Columbia. So once again, this is related again to the whole COVID-19 issue. Her name is Isabel McKenzie. She's a, a leading seniors advocate in British Columbia. So this is again that you know the left of the of the country. But anyway, saying that uh, they've had several people asking for an assisted death, made euthanasia, whatever you want to call it, based on isolation and loneliness, and that in fact. Uh, uh, the COVID regulations, she's asking the question, are there, are there going to be more deaths based on the COVID regulations than actually COVID-19 itself? Uh, in Canada, is it uh, legal to ask for uh, euthanasia simply because you're lonely or depressed? No, but there has to be other factors. So in the case of someone in a nursing home, they might have other how, what you would call comorbidities. They might have other health conditions. And now that with their isolation and their depression, it's leading them to want to die. So, uh, you know, we are, we're dealing with a case right now in Nova Scotia, and it's a wife who's trying to prevent the euthanasia death of her husband. Her husband has COPD, but he's not in any way dying. 
He does have uh, delusional attitudes about his health care. She talks about the fact that her husband believes he's got certain health conditions, which there's no proof of him having. He's also quite depressed by what's going on in his health condition. But he was approved for euthanasia, and she's been challenging that and trying to stop the death of her husband in the courts because he's not dying, he's not nearing death. But he was actually approved. And so you have to start thinking that there's some... Uh, physicians who are heavily into this euthanasia concept, this killing concept, who are easily approving these deaths. So, you know what I'm saying? Um, the, the law does not actually protect people. It was designed that uh, the doctors decide, and once a doctor decides, they have complete oversight of the situation. And that's in Canada. It's in the hands of the uh, That's in Canada, but if you look at Oregon or Washington State, where assisted suicide has been legal for quite a while, those laws are designed the same way. The difference is they have assisted suicide and we have euthanasia. Euthanasia is lethal injection, whereas assisted suicide is you take the lethal drugs yourself. But in both Oregon and Washington State, the doctors decide, and there's no actual oversight because the reporting system is done by the doctor who decided to kill you. So you die by the lethal drugs, and then the doctor who, who uh, approved it sends in the report. So when you have a system like that, you actually don't have oversight. Decisions are made. The doctor knows that there's no way that uh, there's a comeback uh, based on a wrong decision. We're trying to question this whole thing in court, because how can you have a situation where someone's life's going to be ended, and the wife is saying, well, my, my husband is delusional. He talks about things that are not actually happening. And so, and when you say doctor, you're talking about an, uh, a medical doctor, not necessarily a um, psychiatrist or a psychologist. Right. So in, in, the, in the U.S., in Oregon, Washington State, it's, uh, doctors will decide. So they, the law requires two doctors to agree to the assisted suicide. And usually those two doctors, uh, they know each other. Usually it's a situation where one doctor approves and then the second doctor they know is a pro-assisted suicide doctor. So there's, there's not usually an issue of, oh, well, we got all these no's from these doctors because this... No, usually it's, um, it's how would you say, people friendly to the concept sure. who are approving these things. But in Canada, it's doctors and nurse practitioners. So in Canada, they added nurse practitioners to the list of people who could approve your death. Uh, and I think the reason they did it is because the difficulty in Oregon and in Washington State and these other places is finding doctors willing to kill you, right? Right. So if, if you add a few more uh, groups of people who are capable of approving it, then obviously you'll have less of a difficulty finding uh, medical professionals willing to do the act. And tracking this is getting to be very hard now, too, because uh, just like uh, we're finding out with some of the uh, COVID deaths, uh, that there are comorbidities involved, but they're listed as dying from the uh, virus. Uh, in uh, a lot of these states and uh, provinces where they have assisted suicide or euthanasia, uh, they are not list- listing uh, suicide as a cause of death. They're l- instead listing the comorbidity. Right. So, in fact, the law requires... For instance, the Washington state law for assisted suicide requires them to report it as the comorbidity. So, for instance, if you had cancer, it would not say assisted suicide, even though that's how you died. You died by lethal drugs. No, it would say cancer. In Canada, the law requires it also. So, uh, someone who, whatever condition they have, the law requires them to write down the reason being whatever was the reason they approved it for. So, in the case of this man, in uh, Nova Scotia, they put down COPD, but they also put down that he had had some mini-strokes. Well, that didn't affect him. And then they also put down his age, 
meaning that, oh, because he's an older man, that therefore there must be reasons for, you know, but this is sort of crazy. You know, there's lots of people who are in their 80s who might have different health conditions, but we don't go around killing them. That's right. Sure. That's but in right. fact, that's how the law is written. They want to cover it up. They're afraid that someone like Alex Schattenberg is going to find out that somebody died by euthanasia, and, and somehow I'm going to picket the family or something crazy like that. Well, obviously, I feel very sorry for these people. I'm not going to be picketing anybody, but on top of it, uh, because of privacy laws, I'll never see that information anyway. So it's all quite crazy. Um, it's, uh, it's all designed to cover up. That's how it's designed, and in the medical system, it's a serious problem. Well, it is a serious problem, especially in this day and age of the pandemic. I um, in, saw a study through the CDC that um, the uh, th- the uh, symptoms of anxiety and suicidal thoughts have arisen three times since the same period last year, and that some of our minority groups are suffering even greater percentages um, of, of this kind of feeling. Absolutely, you get a lot of you get a lot of feelings of pressure, anxiety, uh, loneliness is the one of the leading causes for people to request uh, death because or to seek a death because the fact of it is is we're human beings, and because of that we 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 feel very down. We feel like we're going through a situation we can't we feel we can't handle it any longer. So we understand with all that that we need to have a society that is uh, concerned about being with the individual at all times, that we can't allow someone to feel that exploitation or that loneliness. Uh, Nonetheless, um, Dr. Shipman, I'll give you another example. Dr. Shipman, quite a few years ago in the U.K., was found out after they did investigations that he had killed 300 people. Now, these were... These were murders. Uh, there might have been the odd one that you would define as a euthanasia, if that's how you want to define things. But these were all murders, but so was euthanasia. Euthanasia is lethal injection, okay? Mm-hmm. That, that is homicide. Any way you want to call it, it might be uh, someone asking for it, but it is still the act. And when they did the investigation in the U.K. as to how to prevent another Dr. Shipman, one of the recommendations was, and it was a serious recommendation, it wasn't just a number 72 on the list, uh, you know, in the small print. No, it, it was that you must have proper uh, death certificate notification issues. So therefore, if there's signs that there might be a problem, you should make sure that you've done an autopsy, that you've checked things out, that you've got proper death certificates, because that at least alerts the authorities that there might be a problem. So what we're doing with euthanasia and assisted suicide in Canada and the U.S. is actually we're giving them a cover-up, but it's also hiding potential problems. Doctors who are pro-euthanasia, some of them are really excited about this idea. They're very uh, humanistic in their ideology, and they believe there's a right to suicide. Um, You can't trust a doctor like that, and we should be very concerned about what's going on in their practice. Interesting. A lot of them may have a belief in a right to suicide, but so many of them don't believe in a right to life for a child. Well, that's exactly it. Isn't it uh, very... uh, a very sad as to how the culture is going. We have to recognize the importance of caring for people in the difficult time of their life. But COVID-19 has really shown us that, that loneliness and isolation is a serious, serious problem for the human person because God made us to be interconnected. He made us to need the other. And in that same way, then, when you know people who are feeling that loneliness and isolation, sometimes they become very depressed, very drawn in, very closed, and they start thinking in a certain way that they wouldn't otherwise think or are seeking things that they would never have otherwise thought. And we have to see that, well, how can I make a difference in their lives? This is the challenge. Eh? This is the big challenge in our, 
our faith community, are we actually going out and making sure that our own seniors or people with disabilities in our own community are actually even being over, uh, you know, seen and visited or talked to and uh, recognized as important members of our community? If we're not doing that, we're going to share the same problems the regular culture is sharing because we're all human. Right? We're all human. We can't forget that. We're not, we're not gods on, unto ourselves. We're human beings, and we have a limited factor to us. You know, uh, you mentioned these connections with people. There was a book uh, a couple years ago I read while I was uh, working at a, uh, a, a, a drug and, and alcohol rehab center. I think his name was Hari. John Hari wrote a book called Lost Connections, and he dealt a lot with this problem with people having depression. Is it you have to engender in them some way to keep connected with people? And obviously, when people are 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 not allowed to visit you, it's kind of hard to get them to reach out and to have those connections. That's exactly it. That's exactly. It. And I get a lot of calls from people. Uh, family members, but even people who are considering euthanasia. I've had a few calls from people who accidentally called us because we're Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, and, you know, they Googled up and they found euthanasia, and they called me. And, you know, the whole goal is to help them find purpose because you're dealing with someone who's in a crisis mode in their mind. They're thinking that there is no purpose to their life. They're feeling a loss of hope, a loss of, uh, you know, any need to live any longer, and how do you deal with that? Well, this, this isn't an easy question. In fact, there are no, there are no easy answers, but you, you try and help them find a purpose to life. And you so you talk to them. You listen to them. You say, you can call me back. You can spend time talking to me. I, I am available for you. And that helps. You know, I heard the story of a priest that was visiting a, a woman who was uh, uh, semi-isolated, I guess, in a, in a nursing home or a hospital ward or something like that. And she was explaining to him that she just d- didn't feel like there was anything for her. Her life was gone. She had no purpose in life. And the priest said, "Do I give you a purpose? This is so-and-so down the hall is uh, critically ill. I need you to pray for her. Say a rosary every day yeah. for her. And uh, it perked her up, you know, the next time the priest yeah. came in because she was doing something. She had found a purpose. Uh, I want to ask you, I, I, you're, uh, in your uh, uh, column, a Death of Despair, um, what is the, uh, I think you mentioned this in there, what is the pro-suicide uh, lobby doing in reaction to COVID and all this? Well, they've actually redefined everything. They've been busy. They set up a, uh, there's an anti-suicide organization that the pro-euthanasia people set up, which is a fake organization. Um, and they've been working very hard to get articles published saying that suicide assisted suicide, euthanasia, these things are unrelated. In fact, it's, it's completely false. Uh, my experience is that people ask for euthanasia or assisted suicide for very similar reasons that as for people who are seeking to die by suicide. As sad as that is, that I, I find it to be very similar, maybe different circumstances, but certainly very similar mentality and reasons. So by them to- totally redefining it, uh, they are saying that, in fact, it's not an issue. But they've been doing something else also in the fact that they've been pushing hard for assisted suicide approvals by telehealth. So telehealth regulations in the, in the U.S. and Canada changed at the time of COVID in order to allow people to speak to physicians, not face-to-face, but to continue to receive medical care. And it would be done by, you know, via computer, etc. And uh, by doing that, uh, we've been able to 
continue health care for people in a non-face-to-face manner. But the assisted suicide lobby and the euthanasia lobby has been pushing for that for approvals for death by uh, the same telehealth. telehealth. This okay. is a crazy idea. Anyway, the, the whole concept of, of euthanasia is a suicide is a crazy idea. But even if you think of the basic concept of you're having to ensure that their medical condition is what it is in order to approve to kill them, well, how are you going to do that over telehealth? Oh, you can't get it's a prescription possible. refilled unless you go back in and see the doctor anymore. Well, actually, with these regulations during COVID, in some states, you, you actually could get a prescription refill over telehealth. So, you know, there's a lot of things being done right now by telehealth because of the restrictions. Uh, they want, actually, uh, that they can approve your death and have your drugs be a uh, prescription written for your death, all based on telehealth. Now, we have to remember, these are lethal drugs, and the type of drugs they're using... Uh, I'm not going to get into it. We can do a whole other show on that, but maybe that's too much information. But these are oh, drugs we'll have you that are back. not <laughs> in any way palliative. These are drugs that are, that are designed to kill you. So I'm not talking about the uh, intentional abuse of palliative care drugs to give someone an overdose. I'm talking about in drugs that are designed to kill you, and they're giving you these drugs for that purpose. This is all intentional killing, right? This is what mm-hmm. we're talking about, and there's nothing, uh, there's nothing too innocent about it. And they're selling some of those uh, over the Internet, aren't they? That's the other thing going on, and I just recently wrote another article about how uh, they've shown that these Nembutal deaths, now I shouldn't be mentioning the name because people can Google it, but anyway, I've said it now. <laughs> uh, these deaths have been shown that they affect one's lung capacity and that they're showing that these deaths are actually very similar to drowning. So someone's, the effect of someone dying with these drugs is very similar to the effect of drowning. So in fact, this supposedly uh, safe peaceful, dignified death is a death by drowning, which is far from being a dignified exactly. death for anybody. I'm just gagging thinking about that. So, right, so but it, it does go fairly quick because they make sure you, they, you order enough drug to kill you. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, no one wants to go through that. No. Thank you. Uh, so it, it, in these uh, effects of the suicide uh, rates, what, what is the role that uh, people in their faith is playing in either preventing or um, helping others through, through these times? Well, there used to be a time where uh, people of faith had a far lower suicide rate, and, and we're not actually seeing that so much in the data anymore. And I think one of the reasons is, is that people are afraid to talk about it. And they need to talk about it, not in the sense of talking about, you know, we should know that there's a suicide scourge going on in the culture, because really that's what's happening. Uh, but the fact that people of faith should, should understand the finality of what's happening here. Because, like, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is when someone's going through uh, this feeling of wanting to, their life to be ended, they're not thinking anymore in a normal fashion. They're not thinking of, you know, the same type of ways you would normally think of effects of what you're doing because they've become so darkened by it. But if you've had ingrained within you this thought that suicide is always wrong, then in fact, at that time when you're even darkened, there's still going to be something reminding you in your mind that maybe suicide is always wrong. You know, I had a woman contact me who has gone through deep depression in her life, a wonderful woman, a great woman of faith, but she's been just suffering with depression. And the one thing that's always held her together is she believes that suicide is always wrong. So even in her darkest time, she's saying, like, I've never pushed myself to the act because there's something telling me you never do that. So that's and, and that's what was a, uh, an advantage in the past for people of faith. 
and that seems to be something that's waning. So people shouldn't be afraid. Like they, they, um, our faith leaders shouldn't be afraid to say it, even if they're going to get attacked by the secular media about that. Yeah. It's not about uh, judging anybody, because we're not trying to judge anybody at all. What we're trying to do is protect life. And we appreciate that. We appreciate what you do. And um, okay. we always God enjoy our visits you. with you. Unfortunately, we're out of time right now, but Alex, we'll, we'll have you back again uh, in a couple of months, and we'll pick up where we're leaving off here. Mm-hmm. Thank you very Thank much you for very joining much. us. We certainly appreciate that. Thank you. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be back after these messages. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports on Iowa Catholic Radio is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Greg Harper. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. 515-440-4610, ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. This is Faith on Trial. I'm with Catholic Radio. We are now back. Gina, another interesting yeah, program with the two... De- they had nothing to do with each other, no. the two uh, guests, but uh, very interesting. We could have gone on for hours with either of them. I think so. I think so. 
Um, I do have to mention, though, that um, my thought, after listening to uh, Alex with the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, uh, my overwhelming feeling is that it needed to remind me to reach out to other people. Right. I I need to do that a better job of connecting with um, members of our parish that I haven't seen in six months and um, family members and neighbors and the like. Yeah. And and he has a website, too. It's epcc.ca, C-A for Canada. One more time. It's epcc. Euthanasia Prevention Coalition Canada. Can't that CA? Yeah, yeah, that. Well, that's and good because CA, it yeah. sounds like they're very helpful to someone who might be in a situation that they're thinking about suicide. And he does have uh, a column that he writes for his blog, and you can see all that and keep up with the news there too. Um, he's an interesting guy because we've had him on many times right. before, and, and sometimes legal cases. And in fact, are, right. it sounds like there's one in Canada right now. Yeah, there are a number of legal cases, and of course, this whole thing with. Uh, uh, assisted medical assistance in dying made up there went through the courts and everything, and uh, it was interesting to follow. It was interesting to follow. So if you're interested in that, uh, but do remember it the connections that count. You know, people need to be connected with other people, and um, in this time when uh, people can't get out of nursing homes, can't go see their relatives, can't be picked up and taken out. If relatives can't even come in, um, they need some connection. You know, I've I've complained and groused about the fact that I can't get into the hospital to see people. Yet I'm watching to do your this, ministry. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you just need to go in and see. Yeah, people. I go in. <laughs> hi, hi, how are you? You know, it's kinda, to do your Catholic <laughs> ministry yeah, to the patients. I, I want to pick up your bet today. You know, <laughs> you the trifecta. Anyway, um, but they're only in there for a couple of days usually. As I'm as I'm watching things go. By the time they've been in there more than a couple of days, and I try and contact them or send them uh, something in the mail, you know, that comes back because they're gone. But people in nursing homes. You know, uh, those are people that we really need to connect with. At least send them mail or something so that uh, uh, they know that people uh, on the outside uh, Mm -hmm. are thinking about them and praying for them. Very good. Very good reminder for all of us. And then on the voting. Voting. Well, you know, I, I can't help but reflect that voter fraud has as long as we've been voting, there's been voter fraud. Right. It just seems like we are making it easier and less detectable with every step that we take towards this mailing voting. Well, this concept of just sending ballots out to everybody. Um, to every mailbox. To every yeah, mailbox. Because yeah, that's not what actually to everybody. That's right. <laughs> to every mailbox is, is, is just abhorrent in my mind, especially now they're trying to foist that on the country with only two months to go before the election. I mean, if you want to do that, try it out in a small municipal election sometime. But, of course, they just had one thrown out because of that, sure. you know. So, uh, yeah. And, and not only the voter fraud, who's casting those ballots, the other problem is going to be who's counting the ballots and how are they being counted. Well, that's, that's another whole mm-hmm. problem. I know they're sending many, many, many lawyers to many of these places that are counting ballots. But think about this in just our small state of Iowa, we have 99 counties. There are 99 offices that are counting those mm-hmm. ballots and would be, I mean, there will be volunteers in probably 75 to 80% of those offices watching what's going on, but do they know what to do if they see something happen that doesn't look legitimate? You, you know, it's just a, 
it's an overwhelming prospect of the legitimacy of the voting process. But I do believe in Iowa, we have a great process and I do believe in the legitimacy of the voting here, but voter fraud has been going on. You know, by the way, why we have 99 counties? (laughs) No, you're a historian. They they were set out that way so that a person anywhere in the county could go and conduct business in the county seat and be back home anywhere in the county in one day. And one day. So the that's distance? why there's so much, right. That's right. It's a distance thing. And of course, when you're horseback or riding a wagon, um, you know, going to the so that's why seat. our state, each of our counties, look like perfectly sized squares. Yeah, kinda, throughout yeah. the the yeah, state. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons. All right, let's uh, gonna end here. I guess since we're running out of time, let's say our our Saint Michael prayer. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Well, that's about it for uh, uh, this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, Join us next week, if you will. We're going to have on Father Frank Provone with us, the Executive Director, National Director of Priests for Life. Uh, So join us next week. Until then, have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial, with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imaging Ingredients.